to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Our text this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. We're going to read beginning from the start of the chapter. Hear the word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we come again into your presence, uh, thanking you for this word that you have given to us and praying, Lord, that as we have read it and as we hear it preached, that you might help the one who preaches and that you might help those who hear that we together might be the recipients of your gracious love and your almighty power working in our midst. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A Belgian scholar by the name of Matthias Desmond has recently written that people in our day are more and more susceptible to what he calls mass formation. And he says that the reason that people are more susceptible to mass formation is due to the fact of extreme social isolation. It is ironic that at a time when we have more ways of connecting and communicating electronically with one another, that we feel disconnected and separated from one another. The lack of meaningful relationships pervades our culture. Studies that have been done have shown that 40% of people today don't have meaningful, real-life relationships, but rely instead on the Internet. One of the great gifts that God gives to believers in Jesus Christ is 
a meaningful relationship with himself, union with Jesus Christ, and union with fellow believers in Christ. Among Christians, there ought to be a deep fellowship and union, a sharing that takes place and has its origins in the new birth. This, the Bible calls, the Greek word is koinonia, and we translate that sharing or fellowship. One of the beautiful things about the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church is that it bears evidence of this deep mutual relationship of love between the Apostle Paul and the members of that church. You notice that in the verse 3, Paul begins with this statement of his remembrance of that congregation and what fills his mind when he does. He says, I in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making all my prayer with joy. He has great joy in his heart when he thinks of the believers in Philippi. And so it is true that the unity that God gives to believers, that God gave to Paul and the early Christians in Philippi, that unity is a gift of the Holy Spirit and comes to us from Jesus Christ, who is our head and Savior. By faith in him, we have fellowship and union with Jesus Christ. It is one of the most basic uh, things that marks and characterizes our entrance into salvation. This idea that somehow the Holy Spirit unites us deeply to Jesus Christ and we share in him. We share in his sufferings. We have been crucified with him, Paul writes. We share in his death and we also share in his resurrection and in the glory that he now has at the right hand of the Father. These are not things that are just disconnected and that we only know about in a theoretical sense. But in a very deep and real sense, God establishes the one who has faith in Jesus Christ, establishes by the work of the Holy Spirit a deep union with him so that his sufferings are sufferings that we share in. His death on the cross, we have uh, we are united with him in that. In his resurrection glory, we are united with him. So that union that we have with Jesus Christ is the first thing. But the consequence of that union with Jesus Christ flows out from that to all those who are united to Christ with you. That is, you are united to others as well, who also are united to Christ. And this is the essence of what it means to be a Christian in the body of Christ, to be fellow members of one another, that we share in each other's gifts and graces. 
We can't all be hands, we can't all be eyes, we can't all be feet, but the hands can't say to the feet, I don't need you. There's a mutual dependence and a mutual sharing in the church among Christians, and we see evidence of that in Paul's letter to the Philippian, Philippian Christians. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, writes this, Christians are privileged to live in a visible fellowship with other Christians. Christians are privileged to live in a visible fellowship with other Christians. And he says, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in the world and to share God's word and sacrament. And not all have that privilege. Paul, for example, at the time of writing this letter to the Philippians, was separated from them. He was sitting in a Roman prison, alone. He wrote to the Thessalonian Christian, to the church in Thessalonica. He says this, he says, We pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. Paul felt that lack of face-to-face seeing and being with the believers in Philippi, in Thessalonica, and indeed all of the churches in which he ministered. And so it is true that it shouldn't be taken for granted that believers always will have this privilege of meeting bodily with other Christians. Those who are sick and of necessity sit alone in hospital beds or in nursing homes, know this. The missionaries who serve in very dark places where there are no other Christians, know this. And there are examples in Scripture. For example, Paul, we just spoke of. King David, when he was in exile from the temple, when his son Absalom tried to take the throne away from him, spoke about his memory of going to the temple and going with the throng and leading them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, and he longed for the ability to do that again. You remember that John, when he wrote the letter to the Revelation, was in exile on Patmos. Paul, as he writes to the Philippians, knew this profound connection that he had and that connection even though he was absent from them. So what do we observe, what do we learn from the verses that we have read about this connection, this fellowship, this sharing among Christians? The first thing we want to say is that it is born out of almighty grace. It is not natural. It is not merely a matter of having a, 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 an interest that is similar to someone else. It is not a matter of mere organiza- organization into a club and an activity that uh, is of interest to those who are members of the club. It's not a political party. It's not a sharing of an ideology. What it is is a fellowship in the gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that. He says, 
because of your partnership or fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It is a fellowship that is centered in the revelation of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ born in the hearts of his people by God's almighty grace and power. It is not natural. So I ask you, do you sense a connection with other Christians? Do you, when you are with this group this morning, do you know that you are united spiritually with other Christians? It is one of the marks of being born again that the Holy Spirit gives us a sense of belonging and of connection with those who are also connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have an absence of that, if you feel as though you are completely unconnected, it may be an indication that you are looking for something in the wrong way. It is in the gospel that we share fellowship. It is in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember that the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. So I ask you, have you met Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Is he the one who is the object of your love and affection? Have you come to know that he is the one who declares to all who trust in him, your sins are forgiven. The Apostle Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, and it was that gospel working in him that brought about this great change of heart. And you remember in Lydia, in, in the book of Acts, we're told about uh, this woman who was a dealer in purple, and uh, she was listening to Paul, and it says that as Paul explained the gospel, the Lord opened her heart. It was supernatural. It was God's grace in her heart. She came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And right away, there was a connection. And she, when Paul was released from prison, remember that he had been put in prison in in Philippi, and he was released and sent on his way. Uh, Where did he go? He went to Lydia's house, and she said, if you have counted me faithful, stay here. And her house was used as a, as a sort of headquarters there in Philippi. And so you see then that one of the results of God's almighty grace and his work of salvation and the gospel, it is that he establishes a connection with Jesus Christ and with other believers. Do you know and you love Christ? Do you know and do you love other believers in Christ? Do you count them to be your family members, your brothers and sisters? And so this fellowship grows by God's almighty grace, changing human hearts and causing us to love Christ and to love one another. But the second thing we notice is that as Paul uh, refers to this 
love that existed between the Philippian Christians and himself, he has a confidence that this is something that will continue on. He says, you have been partners with me from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He had a complete confidence that God, who had begun this work in them, would finish it on the day of Christ Jesus. What is the day of Christ Jesus? It is the day of his coming again in glory. And he is perfectly convinced that their partnership, their sharing with him, was not because of anything in them, but it was because God had done a work in them and that what he had begun, he would finish. They would persevere in this pathway of fellowship. But the next thing that we notice about this passage is that it bears fruit in prayer. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 3 by saying that he remembers them with joy in prayer. And then he says that he yearns for them, verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer. He goes on to describe the way in which he prays for them. And this prayer is a model for us in terms of how it is that we ought to pray for our children, for our husbands, for our wives, for our family members who are in Christ. How ought we to pray? And he says, first of all, that he prays that their love would increase. God is my witness how I yearn for you all. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. This work of grace that God begins in the human heart is one that is not, it does not come full-blown all at once. Love begins and it is capable of growth. Thank God for that. But that which he has begun, he is able now to further and to cause growth in our ability to love both Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and our fellow believers. He wants them to continue to grow in love. Bible says, let everything that you do be done in love. We heard about that this morning. One of the great aims of, of the mission in India that we, that Ethan shared with us was that a community of love would be established and that men and women would learn what real love is. And it is in the fellowship of the church that we experience that kind of love that Christ gives to us. Paul wants that to grow. Let it grow. Let everything that you do, let it grow in its extent. Let it grow in uh, its intensity. Let it grow in our obedience that it gives expression to our obedience. He gives thanks to God for these Philippian Christians 
And he wants them to have an ever-increasing love. Do you love Jesus Christ? Is your love for Christ day by day growing? That's what Paul is praying. And that's what we ought to pray for one another. That our love for one another would increase. But notice that Paul says that it, love is not alone. It's not merely something that is sentimental. But it is based upon knowledge. He says that it may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Love never travels, someone said, alone. It is always accompanied by other virtues. What is that? It is the knowledge that God has revealed to us of himself in Scripture. The knowledge that he has given to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul expresses the fact that our knowledge is incomplete and is also growing. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, he says, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So the love of which the Apostle Paul speaks here of as a growing love is one that is based upon the knowledge of God the knowledge of the Father, the knowledge of the Son, and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. It is intelligent. It has to do with the knowledge of God. It is also one that gives discernment. The Apostle Paul uses that word, that it would grow in all discernment. Love has the ability to have uh, to be able to respond to what it sees and what is around it in such a way that it views not only what is seen with the eye, but is able to discern human relationships and to be able to test and to know what is real and what is not, what is trivial and what is important, what is beautiful and what is ugly what is praiseworthy, and what is blameworthy. And so Paul prays that their love would increase not only in its effect in growing knowledge, but also in the ability to make right decisions, that you may approve what is excellent, that you might know what is consistent with the will of God and choose that which is right, and good and noble, as Paul says later on in the epistle in chapter 4. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think upon these things. God gives the gift of discernment. He gives the ability to uh, know how to choose the right thing at the right moment. Not everything that we do is clearly laid out. Not everything that we decide is known right away. There are countless decisions that we make in life that are not straightforward decisions between that which is right and wrong. They are decisions that depend upon a delicate choice that reflects a value system 
and reflects a priority, one's heart and one's mind. You have to decide between this and that, between being friends with this person or with that person, or spending your time uh, doing one thing as over against another. And it is not always clear that it is one is right and the other is wrong, but it is a decision that nevertheless will show that you know what is truly valuable and what is truly important in life. The Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so uh, Paul prays that they would make, that they would grow in love and discernment and knowledge so that they would be able to make good decisions, practical decisions, day by day, between what is right and good. And so he prays that they would finally be pure and blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of and the praise of God. So while on the one hand the Apostle Paul knows that God will complete that work that he has begun, yet he knows that his prayers for them will bear fruit in their bearing fruit in righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That is, apart from Christ, we can do nothing The fruit of righteousness is a fruit that comes from him. It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. All of these things Paul wants to see abounding in them. And he knows that it will be the case that it will be that way on the day of Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. Everything is to the glory and to the praise of God. So Paul prays for these Christians and gives us a model prayer, how we ought to pray for one another, that our love for Jesus Christ would grow, that our knowledge, our discernment, our ability to make wise decisions, to know what is true and what is valuable and what is not, what is important and what is not, and to invest ourselves in those things that count for eternity so that you may prove what is excellent, that you may be filled with righteousness. May it be that that fellowship that we have with God would bear fruit in our lives, that we would know the meaning of real relationships that are born of the Spirit, and that we would pray for one another, that we would hold one another dear, and that we would yearn for that increase that God gives as he enables us to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. May he help us to do that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do pray that as we uh, come now to uh, participate in the uh, Lord's table, that you would draw us to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a very real and intimate way, that you would cause the Spirit to bear fruit in us that we might grow in love for one another and for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.